And we'll let them finish up here just for a second. It is great to have uh, each and every one of you here, um, smiling faces on a beautiful Sunday morning. Kind of felt like fall this morning, didn't it? It was nice. It was a beautiful, beautiful morning. We had a huge group of us uh, out on Friday night, uh, rooting on the Fruitport Trojans and the Spring Lake Lakers. And uh, for those of you that were part of that, uh, uh, man, thanks for coming out. And Tony, it was kind of Tony's idea, Tony Tidswell, and uh, I just want to say thanks, Tony. It was a cool last-minute kind of thing, saying, hey, let's do this. And there had to have been at least 30 of us uh, out, maybe more. And, uh, and the Tiswells provided all the meat and all the food there, which was great. And I just want to say thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our journey uh, looking at this idea of worshiping together and God's heart for us to grow in worship and to, to reach out and to uh, get all that God has for us. Uh, we're in our third week. The first week, we talked about the who, what, where, when, and why of worship and talking about the who and the why, that God was the creator, and because he created us, he deserves our worship. And not only does he deserve it, he desires it deeply. He wants us to be in communion with him. Last week, we talked about worship as a lifestyle and uh, how worship deals with our lives, the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk the places we go, the things we see, and the things that we will let our ears hear. And it's interesting, as I studied this week, uh, one of the authors I was reading talked that worship individually, the worship that we bring to the Lord uh, personally, affects our corporate worship, our worship together. He says, if you're, one of the authors said, if, if we're not praying at home, or if we come to a worship setting like this just expecting to be entertained, Or if we love the tradition more than we love God, or if we have sin in our lives and there's bitterness and resentment and these things, our worship together will be affected because of those things that are in our lives or the lack of the things that would challenge us. Each week I've presented a challenge. The first week I talked, uh, we left kind of saying, look for distractions, that would things that would in our lives that would distract us from worshiping God. The next, the next week, we talked about avoiding pitfalls in our lives, looking for uh, areas in ourself that would keep us from worshiping God, areas in our family that would keep us from worshiping God, our possessions and power, our occupations, even recreation. Avoid those things that would keep us from fully committing to God and worshiping with our lives. And because we remember that anything that becomes a priority over God will cause us to fall eventually. And we, we looked at the story of David last week. Well, I, as I, we were preparing this week, uh, one of our friends, Jason Betts, uh, called me up and said, you know, Pastor, I've appreciated this, this series, and uh, Jason, why don't you come on up? And uh, he said, Pastor, you know, you're, you're talking last week about avoiding distractions in our life and, and trying to do that. And, uh, and he, he went on to share uh, something that happened to him early in the week. And I said, Jason, if you had got the guts to share that with me, would you have the guts to share it with everybody? And so, Jason, I want you just to share what God has put on your heart. And, uh, and I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. All right. Uh, I was at home, and I just started... Uh getting ready to turn the TV on. I was in action to hit power. I remembered the word that we were taught that Sunday morning. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? God is stirring my heart. God says, we need to get in the Bible. We need to get into the books. We need to start seeking him. We need to start worshiping him and start sacrificing the TV. So uh, we put the TV aside. I grabbed out like seven different books she grabbed out three different books. We just started uh, studying into worship, sacrificial worship. Mm-hmm. Again, I was going down, we were going to uh, her grandmother's funeral. I was getting ready to turn on the music, lay my head back, go to sleep. God says, get in my word. I get in Genesis. I read through 25 chapters in the morning. I mean, I just couldn't get enough of it. I put away the TV. I put away the stereo. And it was so beneficial to give up the media, to give up, you know, the sacrifice, those things that 
we would normally desire to do because it's so much easier than getting into the Word, that God just kept on stirring my heart to keep on reading His Word. So I just uh, found myself deeper and deeper into the Word of God. Awesome. Awesome. Isn't that cool? And it will happen different for you than it did for Jason, but I want to encourage you to look for those opportunities to serve God and to honor Him in all the areas of our lives. And all of us, we can all relate that there are pitfalls, there are distractions that will keep us from serving God fully. And uh, you know, when we recognize those things, to have the courage, like Jason did, to say, hey, you know what, we're not going to do this. And uh, I think that's just wonderful. Well, today we're going to talk about worship as a sacrifice, that there's a cost in our worship. We're going to look at Abraham's life, uh, try to take a close look at that. And then you may have noticed we're ready to take communion at the end of service today. And then I want to leave us with another challenge this morning. And, uh, and I just want to ask God just to kind of cover this time and, uh, and just to open our hearts. I believe that as we talk about worship, uh, that, that it is a possible that God is speaking directly to your spirit, to your heart, about your worship, about your life. And, uh, and I just believe that God, as he is tugging and stretching and molding and shaping us, that, uh, that we need to be ready to receive everything that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Lord, I just pray a quick blessing on each person that's here. Lord, let them hear your word. Lord, let it not only hear, but let them be doers of your word. And God, even when you challenge us uh, specifically, uh, and it can be a difficult challenge, I pray that your spirit would just give us the strength to do what you said. And God, I'll just give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a heart to hunger and to thirst for you. And Lord, we just honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm not sure what your life is like, but when I look at my life, uh, my life is like yours, I'm sure, is full of challenges. Things that come up that make life not so easy. Sometimes it's easy to look at someone else and say, man, wouldn't it be great if I had their troubles or their problems? Um, I'm just wondering, just by a show of hands, how many parents would say that raising kids is not the easiest task in the world, all right? Yeah, it, it's tough. How many uh, husbands and wives would say, you know, marriage can be tough. Marriage uh, it will give you a run for your money. And maybe it's work challenges or money challenges or relationship challenges in family and friends or maybe with enemies. You know, sometimes I feel uh, like saying, God, come on, are you kidding me? The challenges seem to just continue to roll and keep on coming. And it's like, we need a break, need a reprieve. And, and you may feel like that this morning saying, man, the, the obstacles just keep on stacking up. And it's like, come on. I know for me, sometimes I feel like my family is isolated, that we're the only ones at times. You know, it, it's so interesting. We kind of put on this happy face when we come to church, many of us do, and we, we may have major burdens that we're dealing with, uh, maybe struggling with our kids or things are tough at home, and, uh, or maybe work is on the line, or, and uh, you know, just lots of different things that could be happening in our lives. But we come and we say, oh, how you doing? We're fine. We're good. And oftentimes we can be superficial. And I'll say, um, my family, and for me personally, I can be pretty good at that, putting on a good face, saying, you know, everything's okay. But in the quiet times, when things kind of settle down, when everyone goes away, I know that I have had times when I've questioned God's call, saying, God, are you sure this is for me? second-guessing not only God, but second-guessing myself, saying, man, can I even do this? Am I able to? I remember not too long ago talking with my pastor from Dayton, who I served under for uh, eight and a half years, saying, pastor, why would anyone choose to be a pastor? I mean, man, it, just the challenges, it's tough. And, and he said something very wisely. He said, you know, Ben, he says, you don't choose ministry. Ministry chooses you, and it's a calling, 
And if you're not called, you get out. <laughs> and, uh, but if you are, you, you stay faithful, and God will bless you. And, uh, and I've been, we've seen the benefit of that. But how many of you can relate that sometimes it seems like, man, you're the only one, <laughs> or your troubles are bigger than anyone else's? And, uh, and I, I certainly uh, can, can relate to that. This week as I studied this idea of sacrifice in worship, I looked at the life of Abraham, a man chosen by God with an incredible promise that we're going to look at here in a minute. He was called. He was directed by God. He was a hero in faith. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, a whole section in the faith chapter is devoted to Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place where he later received his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, were enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and as countless as the sand and the seashore. Now, if there's anyone in the Bible that we could look to that was a man of God, that was directed, that had great favor, great promise, Abraham would fit that mold. But what was interesting, and I was encouraged, is that even though Abraham had so much going for him and directed by God, it was not easy to be Abraham. It was no cakewalk. And we'll see that as Abraham worshiped and obeyed God, his life was full of really challenging times. And if anyone had the right to say, God, I've had enough, or looking for excuses to quit, excuses to say, you know, this whole faith thing, forget it, Abraham could have and would have been justified. His friends certainly would have uh, justified him. We will see that Abraham does not quit because in the next verse it says all these people, talking about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, said in verse 13 it says all these people were still living by faith when they died, till they, till they passed. And you know his life this week, and it's interesting, uh, Jason was uh, reading through Genesis because we're going to look there in a few minutes. His life challenges me. His worship challenges me. And I pray that it does the same for you today. Because today I want us to take, uh, to see that our worship, it costs us something. When we give God honor, or we give someone else honor, it costs us something. When we've defined worship, it was giving something worth, a worthiness, giving our time and energy and money, giving our attention to honor something. Now, if we worship our possessions, if we worship our, you know, our house or our boat or our car, and we spend time on it, you know, waxing or, or shining or trimming, or you know, when we give our time and our attention, it costs us something. And the same thing is true when we worship God, when we honor Him, it costs us something equally, spiritually, mentally, socially, physically. So I want you to imagine with me this morning if you can consider your heart and your life at this moment, what's on the line for you? What are you facing? What are you up against? And then think about what has God put in your heart as far as dreams or plans or when you consider your future. What does God have for you? What does life look like ahead for your family, for your situation? And as you consider what the future might look like, surely there are things that each of us would like to see changed. Maybe ourselves, we'd like to see our, ourselves change. Maybe the way we act or the way we, we um, uh, the, the kind of work we do or, or the, the way we, we participate in, in community. Maybe it's our families, those around us that would say, man, I'd really like to see that changed. 
or maybe our workplace or in our community itself. There are things that we would all say, man, you know, if, boy, if we had our will or if we could just change this, I'm sure there are things that as we look at our dreams, we look at our future that we love to tweak. And we're going to see that Abraham, instead of trying to change the difficulties that he faced, and there were a lot of them, instead of trying to change those things on his own, Abraham modeled a lifestyle of sacrificial worship. And he welcomed God into each circumstance. And our challenge today, as we will see, is that in the midst of things that kind of grate our soul, that threaten our peace, the things that, that kind of that give us uh, those belly aches, we can turn to the Lord and we can say, you know, I'm going to worship. I will worship. And I will build an altar just like Abraham did, no matter what. And God wants us to do that. In Matthew chapter 22, we've started our Worship Together series each week. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? And we know that it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the greatest command, to love God. When we think about worshiping, that is what worship is. It's modeled uh, in that challenge for us to love perfectly. What's interesting, at the very beginning of time, at creation, when God created the heavens and the earth, and then he put Adam and Eve on the earth, at that moment, there was perfect communion with God, wasn't there? There was no barriers, no, no broken trust yet. And Adam and Eve were able to worship and to honor God in a perfect manner, giving themselves, advancing the creative purpose that God had put in their lives. But then, sin entered the world. And what's interesting is that as soon as sin entered the world, at that point, there was a brokenness, a broken trust, a barrier. And now, and from that point forward, our worship, and our, for our relationship, and for our blessing of fellowship with God to be reinstated, for that to be restored, worship had to become redemptive in its nature. And instead of, worshiping, uh, instead of worshiping God in a perfect setting, now we worship God in a broken system. And worship now requires sacrifice in order to neutralize the separating power that the power of sin has and the, and the failure that, that humanness uh, has. And throughout the Old Testament, the way that people worshiped was that they would build altars of sacrifice. Sacrifices were made as a part of their worship experience. And altars were built, which took work and took energy to honor God. Altars were created to invite the presence of God into their lives at that moment. And oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, uh, the altars were made and built as a memorial, as a place to say, you know, we met with God at this moment, and we, it was a place to look back and to honor God. I want you to turn with me, because Abraham, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at Abraham's life here and look at several chapters, and we'll kind of do a, a summary and kind of a, a, a look over this. But Abraham made a lot of altars uh, in his time. Let's start in Genesis chapter 12, because that's where we first see the call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 says, The Lord had said to Abram, he wasn't called Abraham at that point, he said, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then here's the promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. At this moment, how many would agree that Abraham was being set up by God for a great future, right? He's giving him this great promise. Verse 4 says, So Abram left, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, which was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that he, they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, I want to stop here for a second, because if you didn't know what the land of Canaan was, 
Your first thought might be like, man, that must be a beautiful place. God promised. That was where Abraham was going to be blessed and the great nation would be raised up. And uh, later we'll see, you know, we, you may know that, that God promised him as, that as numerous as the stars were in the sky, that was going to be Abraham's uh, um, uh, generations to follow. But Canaan was not this beautiful picture. In fact, the land of Canaan was considered one of the most vicious and corrupt cultures in history. And you say, that was Abraham's blessing? And he was to worship there? Because the worship in the land of Canaan included child sacrifice, cult prostitution, wickedness, carnality of everything that you could imagine, Satan worship. And this is where Abraham was going to plant his seed at age 75. But Abraham was a man of faith, wasn't he? It says, Abraham traveled the land as far as the site, the great, as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. And what it says in verse 7 there, he says, So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar saying, You know what, God? I'm trusting you. I'm inviting your presence in, in this moon, in this move. As I stand, as I worship you here at this moment, God, I'm trusting that what you've said is going to be true. But what's interesting in verse 10 this great land that God had given, great promise, the next season of that land was famine. It says in verse 10, it says, now there was a great famine in the land and Abraham had to leave the promise that he had been given just to survive. So his people, he went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. So hey, Abraham had been promised this. He took his family, planted him there, and then he couldn't even survive, couldn't even make it, and he had to go into a different place, down to Egypt. And as if you read through the story, he went from Egypt and then back to Negev and, and then back to Bethel, and that's where we find ourselves in chapter 13. It says, so Abraham went up from Egypt uh, to, the, to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. So he's moving a lot. Abraham had become very wealthy already in livestock and in silver and gold. And from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Again, we see Abraham in the midst of all this moving, taking time out to honor God and to lift God up. He calls out to God. Now he kind of moves on in the, in the text here, and, and we won't take the time to read it, but Lot and Abraham were, uh, were having hardship in relationship. And I'm sure none of us can relate to family problems, things that happen in our family, but Abraham and Lot, they obviously had some disagreement, and they separated, and Abraham let Lot pick where he wanted, and then in verse 14... Abraham is standing looking over the, the land that God had promised. And it says that the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, he says, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Again, the Lord spoke of this promise that was, was going to be fulfilled in Abraham. And so it says, so in verse 18, so Abraham uh, moved his tents and went to live there in the great trees of Mamre and Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Again, built a sacrifice, an altar unto God in verse uh, chapter 13 there. Well, because of the wickedness that was in the land that I spoke of in, uh, in Canaan, uh, Lot got caught up in that. 
And God was not happy with the people there. Sodom and Gomorrah was a part of that in in chapter 14. uh, uh, Because of the wickedness, Abraham steps in to rescue Lot. He gets his family out of there. In chapter 15, God again renews this covenant with, with Abraham. And I want you to notice that there's a period of time here that is passing, and God uh, had promised, promised this uh, great land and for all these descendants, but it was taking time. It certainly wasn't in Abraham's time. But in chapter 15, look at it. It says, after this, uh, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. And he says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, I want you to imagine years have gone by. He's moved from here to there. He moved his, his people to the land where that God had promised, and then there was famine. He moved to Egypt and then kind of made his way back. And years have gone of hardship, relationship problems. If you were Abram, I would begin to wonder, start to fear, man, did I hear God right? And God reaffirms, saying, you know what? Do not be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. But Abram said, and you can imagine, you can relate to this, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant is in my household, will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir. Again, he's reaffirming the promise. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up again at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I want to take some time here because I want you to imagine what Abram was feeling. Abraham was feeling at this point. No kids. This great promise. But he's had the runaround, so to speak. Does anyone relate to that? feeling God's promise in your life and that God has got a great future. Maybe quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper, to give you hope, give you a future. You're standing on that word, but life happens. Struggle, heartache. Genesis chapter 16, again, we see that Abraham doesn't have any kids, and Abraham says, you know, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And he takes one of his uh, maidservants, Hagar, or Hagar, and, and he sleeps with her, takes it into his own hand. You know what's interesting about that whole story, if you read through it, as Abraham tried to say, okay, if this is going to be the case, I better take it in my own hands. I feel you know, not trusting God. I'll better help God out. I've tried that before, personally. At that moment, it just caused all kinds of relational problems in his family. The stress of relationships. And we get to Genesis chapter 17, if you flip there with me. At this point, it says that Abraham was 99 years old. 24 years later, from the time that he was promised at age 75, and we come to this point, and now God is revealing more of the covenant that he is expecting from Abraham. I want to read this, and I want you to see that, that what is so interesting is that God, in his perfect timing, he knew exactly what he was doing. But listen to what he asks of Abraham. And I want you to consider the things that God has maybe asked you or will be asking you to do. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. 
Abraham at that point fell face down and said, God, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, and I will make the nations. And he goes on and reconfirms this. But then in verse 9, it says, Then God said to Abraham, says, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Now, I want you to just hold your breath here for a moment. At this point, Abraham is 99 years old, has a whole slew. God has blessed him and has increased him already where he is. And listen to what he asks of Abraham. He says, Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now at this point, if I was Abraham, (laughs) I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm saying enough is enough. (laughs) I'm saying no way, not at 99, and not everyone here. Sure, from this moment forward, no problem. On the eighth day, no problem. Because he goes on to say, every male after that on the eighth day would be circumcised. But he says, every male among you shall be circumcised. You, Abraham, are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Talk about a cost of following Christ. And in verse 28, we see, on that very day, That very day, Abraham took his son, Ishmael, and all those who were born in his household or who who he had bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told them. He followed through with what God was saying because he was trusting God. He was willing to sacrifice because of the covenant, because of the promise. Now, I want you to know that all of this happened. And Abraham tried. He had a great son uh, um, uh, through his maidservant, Hagar. But that was not God's promise. And we get to verse, or chapter 21. If you flip ahead just a little bit, Sodom and Gomorrah happens. And, and, uh, but in, in chapter 21, at this point, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as what he had promised. Sarah, at this moment, after the wandering through the desert, after altars were made to honor and to worship God, after the great cost of circumcising himself and, and everyone in his camp, after all of those sacrifices, then God provided. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham, Abraham in his old age. At the very time, verse 2, read it, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name of Isaac, and the son, uh, son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. The ultimate test, though, was still ahead. God provided, and, and in that, there, there was more family uh, problems. And uh, we read in uh, Genesis, or Genesis 21, a little later, that Hagar and Ishmael, uh, the son of Hagar, Abraham's son, because of the, the problems there, Abraham wisely said, Hagar and Ishmael, I'm going to send you guys away. And he, he sends them away. But in chapter 22 comes the absolute test of all. Talk about a sacrifice of worship. Listen to what God asks of Abraham at this point. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Mori. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Again, can you imagine and you've heard this story a hundred times if you grew up in church, probably. But just put yourself in Abraham's shoes. 
25 years after the promise, he gets his son. Son promised to be the heir, to, to, be, the, to, to be of great nations. And now God says to sacrifice him? A burnt offering? Listen to verse 3. Abraham, we don't know what he thought exactly, but we know what he did. He says, early the next morning, verse 3, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut, cut, uh, cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, listen, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham knew, he spoke, he knew that even though God had called him to take his son's life, he knew somehow that God would honor that. And he knew, he was speaking by faith at that moment, that God would either resurrect him or save him. He didn't know, but, but in that moment, Abraham obeyed. He followed Christ. The Lord was able to fulfill his promise to Abraham because Abraham had made worship the center of his life. At that moment, that day, you can read the story. Abraham goes up on the mountain with his son, builds the altar, puts a lot of work into that, and then grabs his son and ties him down, raises the knife up, ready to take his son's life, not knowing the future, but trusting God as a sacrifice of worship. And in that moment, God said, wait, 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 Abraham. There's a ram in the thicket that's caught by the horns. And he went and he took it and was able to worship the Lord with his son at that moment. Abraham was willing to give it all. And because of this pattern of worship in his life, uh, God honored that in him. And that promise that Abraham had of great nations, of a great future, his promise to you and to me, it's the same. Now, we don't build altars today. We don't go out and gather rocks and sacrifice in the same way. We don't do that because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. But today, we are supposed to follow what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, that we today are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Today, we are called to give our heart, to give everything as living sacrifices. In a sense, it's a, it's a bloodless sacrifice of worship. You say, well, what does our altars look like today? We don't build altars made out of stone. But you know, in the Old Testament, those stone altars, were, it was, they were made out of broken things broken rocks and, and were built up. And the same thing is true today for us, even though we don't have rocks that we put, but it's the broken things in our lives that we build our altars to Christ with. We can come to God and bring our brokenness. We can bring our disappointments and our resentments and our sin, our hurt, our struggles. We can build those things our hard, our broken things, we can bring to God. The things we struggle with, we can bring to God. It's the surrender of everything that we would wrap up in God's call. We bring those things to God. The purpose of our life, we bring to God as a sacrifice. And we can worship God at our own personal altars. It's different from the Old Testament. We don't go out and look for a cat to, to slay or a bird or a sheep or a goat. But we need to examine our own lives and what is it, the brokenness inside of us, the hurt, the pain, 
And out of those things, we build an altar to God. It's an altar of sacrifice. We invite the presence of God like Abraham. We leave our burdens at that place. And just like an altar was a, a place to remember our altars that we build, our own personal altars of worship, we can remember, we can look back and say, you know, I left my burdens at the feet of Jesus at that moment. And we continue to do that. We leave our burdens through worship with our Heavenly Father. And we can walk away free, knowing that we're set free, that God is helping. So we come before God, we come broken, and we seek everything He has for us. And you know what's so interesting? Again, the promise that was made for Abraham is the same promise for us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we, we read it. Uh, it was right before that, uh, before what we read. It says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards. This is what I want you to see, that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so as we seek him and seek God and everything he has for us, God will reward us. We can believe that something good will be given in return for our worship. That's a promise. So we bring the sacrifice, we bring our brokenness before the Lord, and we can expect something, a reward, a, an enriching, a, a benevolence from God, things that are good, because God promises it to us, just like he did for Abraham. God calls us to come and to, to follow him. He promises to transform our lives as we humble ourselves. He desires to bless us. He seeks our devotion. He seeks a commitment with each and every one of us. And God accomplishes this by meeting us where we worship him, sacrificially building an altar from our brokenness. Altars for Abraham firmed up God's promise to him. The moments that Abraham was willing to put it all on the line, God met him. Altars were milestones for his life. Altars were worship-filled encounters with God in God's presence. And the same is true for us. As we worship the Lord, as we worship together, God wants us to meet him equally. We started the worship service looking at Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what God desires. So what's on the line in your life? What are you up against like Abraham? Abraham is the future of his family was on the line. His understanding of who God was, his faith was on the line. It was being tested there was fear that was uh, emerging. When your life is in a struggle, I want you to know you can focus on worship. You can come to Jesus just like Abraham did. Abraham was bewildered, frustrated, stumbling, had doubts. And we may be in that same boat this morning, yet he believed. And I want to encourage you this morning to believe that as we come to the Lord, he will meet us where we are. You can build an altar with the broken parts of your life. Isn't that beautiful? You can pour out your life in worship to God and then look up like Abraham was told to do. Look up to the stars. Last night was a beautiful night. I came home from studying and I just stood in my driveway, looked up and it was a clear night. And the stars were just everywhere all across the sky. That's the promise God has for you. He has plans to prosper you and to help you. And I want you to think this morning, what does your tomorrow look like? How certain or uncertain is your future? And in that certainness or the uncertainness, can you trust God? Can you worship him? Can you learn from Abraham's life to build altars of worship and to surrender, to pour yourself out, your fears, your doubts, your frustrations, all as living sacrifices. That's what God requires. That's what he desires. That's what he wants. This morning, 
We're going to take some time here in just a moment. Worship team, you can come. As you consider the things that you're up against and the struggles, there may be things in your life right this moment that you could bring to the Lord and to leave at his feet. And boy, what a relief it will be to bring that brokenness before God. And as you do that, God will bring light into the darkness. I believe that. He will renew the confidence of his covenant, the dream he has put in your heart, the plans he has for you as you give God everything. He promises blessings. I believe that God has great lessons for us all to learn as we build altars in his presence, as we lay the hard things down at Jesus' feet. God wants to meet us. And I believe he wants to meet us even this morning. We can bring the hard, the broken things and lay them before the Lord. And we can build altars and worship the one true God who holds our lives and our tomorrows and is always fulfilling the promises that he has for us. I want you to turn to one more scripture with me, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, you can start there whenever you're ready. When we think about Jesus, which I mentioned being the perfect sacrifice, aren't you glad that we don't have to go out and gather stones to build an altar and to have to go get a lamb or a bird to sacrifice. There's this one cat in our neighborhood that I'd like to sacrifice, but I've been told I could go to jail for that if I did. But Jesus, he made a way for us to be able to come to him without a whole lot of work. All we have to do is humble ourselves, take one step forward towards him, and he meets us. And his presence is there with us. And we can worship and we can lay the things that are so hard, the struggles, the pain, the hurt. We can lay our future at his feet. And he promises his presence to be with us. Isn't that amazing? And we remember that sacrifice in a time of communion where we remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And we remember the blood that was shed for us on the cross. The ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life. What Abraham was willing to do to give his son Isaac, God did do. He gave his only son. He sacrificed his son so we could live and we could have communion with God forever in heaven. That's amazing. And this morning, I'm going to challenge each and every one of us to maybe step out of our comfort zone, step out of what would be typical for our worship, what you would consider worship in your life. And I'm going to ask that you would consider Christ's sacrifice with me this morning, maybe in a different light. In just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand and we'll make two lines, one through coming from this way, one here, and you'll grab a, a, the bread, which represents the body, and the, the juice that represents the blood. And I want you to find a place in the room. You can return to your seats if you want, but maybe find a different spot to create a personal altar with the Lord this morning. And we've got, it's only... 35 after, we got some time this morning. And I'm going to encourage you to spend a few moments with the Lord creating a personal altar of sacrifice to Him. And for some of you this morning, as I prayed for you this week, asking God just to meet us in this moment, I believe that there are some here today that need to take some of that brokenness that we've kind of carried on our own. We need to be honest with ourselves and with others, maybe, 
and to lay those things at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that our, our burdens will be lifted. That God, he, he will start to carry some of those things, the things that we've tried to carry. For the others of you, this will be just a reminder. Maybe there's nothing major today that you're struggling, that you're up against, but it's a good reminder that, man, there needs to be times in our lives of worship, a sacrificial worship, laying those hard things at our feet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and saying, this is the cup of my new covenant in, the, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the Lord and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So this morning, we need to examine ourselves. Say, God, at this moment, what is it? What are the areas that are keeping me from fully fellowshipping with you. Father, I pray that in this moment, Lord, that you would meet us for your glory, for your honor. That as we worship together corporately, I pray that this place will be full of individual places of personal sacrificial worship. Altars Altars of worship that are for you, God. I ask that you would meet us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wanted you to stand with me all across this place. And just as the Lord would lead, I want you to make an aisle here and an aisle here. You can grab a piece of the wafer or the, the um, cracker and then a, a cup as well. And then I want you, you can go ahead and come, and I want you just to find a place and to consider your life. Consider what God is doing in your heart. What are the broken areas that you need to leave at Christ's feet? And we're going to just take a moment. Don't partake. We'll partake together in a moment. But what is it that God is saying in your heart? Find a place to worship the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. To say that you're my God, altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. Bless your name, God. All together, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. All together, we honor you. I'll never know how much it costs. Hallelujah. We honor you, God. We honor you. Altogether lovely, altogether worthy, 
Consider this time of communion. I believe that we are celebrating the greatest altar of all times. This morning, right where you are, I want you, first of all, to consider your own life. And if there's sin in your heart, the Bible says that we need to repent before we partake in communion. Otherwise, we're casting judgment on ourselves. So in this moment, Lord, we just ask that you would purify us, God, that you would forgive us for all our sins. Lord, each of us, God, for me personally, God, clean my heart. God, I give you my everything. Hallelujah, Lord. Now as we consider... Christ's body that was broken for us. I want you to hold the cracker that you have received. I want you to imagine Christ's body being beaten and broken for you. Creating the ultimate sacrifice. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, we honor you, God, this morning partake of the body together. In the same way we remember Christ's body, we are to remember the blood that was shed for us, for forgiveness of sin, for healing, for atonement. A new covenant, it says. A new set of rules so we can come to the Lord because of his sacrifice freely. Wow. Lord, thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your power. The power that comes through your blood. Let's partake of the juice together. Hallelujah. 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 Bless your name, God. Bless your name, God. In your own way, we're creating personal altars a sacrifice of worship this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. Touch your people, Lord, I pray. Hallelujah. the things we've done is we've asked you in this series on worship to consider or to look for distractions, to notice the distractions that are in our lives. The second week we said, let's avoid those distractions. Let's avoid those pitfalls. And uh, the story that Jason shared was a perfect example saying, okay, we want to worship God. We want to we do this. Well, today I want to challenge each and every one of us 
to build altars in our lives of brokenness before the Lord and to invite the presence of God into our lives as a lifestyle that we live lives full of worship, full of sacrifice, less of us and more of him. And I'll tell you, it's not an easy road. Abraham's road was not easy. Struggles and pain and relationships and trying to take things in his own hand and test and trial. And I, I guess we should expect the same, but in it, when we remember the promise, there's great reward as we worship the Lord. I'm going to ask that we'd stand together and I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction. But I've asked the worship team to, to play and to, we'll worship together for a few moments longer. For those that would like to stay and continue to worship, I'd encourage you to do that. But if you have to slip out, we understand as well. Father, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be challenged to find ourselves in your presence, building altars of brokenness each and every day coming before you with the hard things of life and laying our lives at your feet for your glory and for your honor. And God, just as you've promised Abraham to be the father of many, many nations for generations to come, God, we are part of that, the, that heritage. God, I pray that that same promise would resonate in each and every one of our families and each of our lives that we are your people. And Lord, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We can give our lives to you. And Lord, we honor you. We bless you this morning. And God will give you the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's worship together. Worship.